And the word of the Lord says this. It says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. You may be seated. raise your hand, Jerry will uh, assist you in that. Just a few announcements uh, before we get started uh, this morning. Uh, on June the 20th through the 24th is VBS. Please mark your calendars. That's in the evening. Uh, we'll begin to give you more and more details about that here in the next few weeks. But June the 20th through the 24th will be our uh, VBS here at the church. Also, uh, if anyone is willing to or would like to uh, contribute to the community garden. There are tomato steaks that are needed. If you will see Miss Patty, she will uh, tell you exactly what she needs. Uh, if you can't get to Miss Patty, come find me and I'll make something up. <laughs> Stuff just, if I would just read my notes, I would not get in so much trouble. I'll point you back to Miss Patty. But we do need uh, tomato steaks, please. And last but not least, we are in the middle of a search committee for a youth pastor, and we will pray for that uh, now, and then we're going to jump into God's Word together. Bow your heads in prayer with me this morning. God, I pray that you would quiet our hearts, open our minds and ears to hear from you, what we'd receive from you. You are worthy, God. You are holy, as we just sang. I pray, God, that you would just continue to remind us of all of your attributes. Some, God, that we will not know until we get into eternity with you, but I pray that through the Holy Spirit you would reveal to us exactly uh, who you are. And that out of that, God, we would worship you with all that we are. So lead us, guide us, uh, open us to your word. Um, we're grateful for it, that you would give it to us. So we want to herald it this morning. May it do what only it can do, and that's bring you glory, change us, to make us more like your son Jesus. We pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen. If you haven't been with us, we're in the middle of James. We've been walking through this letter that James writes to the Jews that have been dispersed. And so... He's writing the, the Jews to remind them of their intimacy with the Lord or their walk with the Lord and what it looks like. And over the last few weeks, we've looked at trials and temptations. And this morning, I want to look at what he says as he rounds out trials and temptation. But what I want to ask this question to us this morning is this, because this is what James is going to say to us. This is the big idea of the morning's passage. We must avoid being deceived by remembering the character of God. We must avoid being deceived by remembering the character of God. And so I want to ask this question to you. I want to thank you to think about a story 
Has anyone been deceived or scammed before? I want to tell you a quick story about, uh, this is probably not a good idea to tell this story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. I was uh, scammed in college, deceived in college. Here's how it went down. Uh, my buddies and I, there were seven of us that all decided, hey, for spring break, we're going to go to the Bahamas. That should have been clue number one, that's a bad idea. But my parents had a timeshare in the Bahamas, and so we began to debate. We were in South Carolina, and we began to debate, how do we get from South Carolina to the Bahamas? We're poor college students. We had a free house. All we had to do was just get to the house. Once we got to the house, we would have been golden. And so for about a week, we talked and tried to make this uh, plan. We're a 21-year-old college student. I don't know if you know this about college students, but there's this part of your brain called the frontal lobe. In the frontal lobe is where every rational decision is made. Well, you're, as a male, that piece of the brain doesn't get fully developed till you're 27. So I'm 21, 22. That means I have no frontal lobe. And I'm trying to make a decision how to get down to the Bahamas. And so we looked at plane tickets. We looked um, at other things. And then we had the great idea. What if we took a cruise ship? Let's go in style over there. So we decided to take a cruise ship to the Bahamas. Now we had to get from South Carolina down to Fort Lauderdale. So we went online and looked up a cruise ship. Now, you can do a lot of things with Photoshop. And so on the thing, it said a $100 round-trip boat ride from cruise ride. Just quotations, boat ride. You'll come to that here in a minute. So $100 from Fort Lauderdale to the Bahamas. And back, we're like, great, all we have to do is pay for gas and $100. That's a $150 trip. We got this. So we head down to Fort Lauderdale. And what they showed on the website was an amazing, like, carnival cruise ship. Like, I was like, this is going to be awesome. All you can eat food, all the things I'd ever heard about a cruise ship. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. I can put on my floaties and go down the slide on the pool and eat all that I want and just, and so we get closer and closer to the docks. I'm like, this, this isn't looking good. There's this one ship that was just billowing out this black smoke. And I was like, man, I feel sorry for those poor souls. We got closer and closer and closer. I'm like, oh, that, that's our boat, fellas. We get on the boat. It must have been from the 70s, and it must have been a retired boat. And then I realized we went to the pool, and so the pool was not full yet. I'm like, well, how are we going to get in the pool? And the pool, and this is not an exaggeration, not a lie, the pool is the size of this stage. And I'm like, there's, there's probably, I don't know, two, 3,000 people. How are we all getting in that pool together? Well, we take off from the dock. They gave us one uh, free uh, Sprite or Coke, that was our, we had a, like a voucher for a free drink. I'm like, what happened to all the free food? I don't want a free drink. And I, I like a Coke, come on. And so we, we get there and then uh, this is how they filled up the, the pool. They started just pumping in water from the ocean. <laughs> I was like, so needless to say, that was horrible. The deck was terrible. The benches were terrible. Uh, so bad I wanted to fall asleep to get just get the ride over with. It was supposed to be, I think, like a two-hour ride. It ended up being a four-hour ride because the boat was terrible. 
and I went to sleep on the deck and didn't put any sunscreen on. And so for the rest of the trip in the Bahamas, this and this I'm going to shame myself bad, I was wearing sunglasses at the time. So when I took my sunglasses off, I looked like a raccoon for the next week at the beach. But that is a moment of being scammed. Like going onto their website, their website was pristine. I thought we had like caught the deal of a century. But we wasted our money. And I don't know what story you may have about being deceived. But all of us in this room have been deceived. And that is what now James is going to turn and tell us this morning. He's going to tell us, don't be deceived. Now, why would James, here in this passage, in verse 16 of chapter 1, come out of the gate and say, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers? James is talking to the believer. He's talking to us this morning as believers. He's saying to us, don't be deceived. Now, why would James say that right after he gave this long exhortation about trials and temptations? Of all the ways he could have wrapped up this chapter, this section in the chapter, he says to them, don't be deceived. So we're going to look at three things this morning. The reproof from James, the reminder from James, and then the reward that James shows us. So the reproof is this, the thing that James is going to plead with the believer is this, do not be deceived. I wonder if you're like me. In your life and in my life, when I go through trials and when I go through temptation, that is the moment that I'm most easily deceived. Why am I most easily deceived? Why are we most easily deceived when it comes to trials and temptation? Because we want relief. Nobody in the room wants to go through trials, do we? And so we want out of the trial or out of the temptation as fast as possible. And James is saying, don't be deceived. Think of it in this way. How often do you hear these words in your trial or your temptation? If God really loved you, he wouldn't let you go through this. If God was really in control of all things, he could stop this. If God was the healer of all things, he'd heal you of your cancer today or your pain or your you fill in the blank. Anyone have those inner dialogues? That's called deception. And so James is saying when you're in the middle of your trials and you're in the middle of your temptation, don't be deceived. And how often is it that Satan uses God's character to deceive us? And that's what he's going to say. That's the rest of this passage. He's going to say, don't be deceived by Satan about the character of God. Remember what happened as we talked last week in Genesis chapter 3. Remember that moment that, that God is saying to Adam and Eve, all that you have, all that's in this garden is yours. You can have all of it. And you can take in all of it and all that is good for you. But what did Adam and Eve encounter with the serpent that day? The serpent came and said to Adam and Eve, did God really say that? 
Because God knew if you were taking this, you'd become like God. And so, in essence, what we could say is that Satan was saying, God isn't really out for your good. God is trying to withhold goodness from you. How often in our trials and temptations do we really linger there too long about the goodness of God? About God's character, about the promises of God, about what God is wanting to do in us. And so now he moves from, don't be deceived. So I'd ask you this question this morning, how is it you may be being deceived in your trial and temptation? Where is it that Satan may be trying to deceive you in the character of God, the goodness of God, the kindness of God, the love of God, the provision of God? The warning to all of us this morning is, let us not be deceived. And now James says, to us. Remember how we, we ended and talked about last week. He, he said to us, hey, when it, when it comes to the character of God, God can't tempt anybody. God is not the tempter and he does not use evil. And now James says, let me remind you again who God really is. He says it this way in verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The reminder to us here is this, and James is going to point it out to us in several different ways. He's going to remind us of just the character of God. The psalmist says this, about the character of God in Psalm 119, verse 68. Is this true for us? Do we believe this about the character of God this morning? The psalmist says this, you are good and you do good. Do we believe that? In the moment of this trial or temptation in your life, can you say as the psalmist says, you are good, and you do good. Jesus, remember, this is a commentary. James is a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. This is what he says, Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. For which of you... If his son asked for a bread, would give him stone? Or if he asked a fish, would give him a serpent? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus says we're evil, and even we as evil parents know how to give good gifts, and then Jesus says, but how much more the Father who is in heaven knows how to give even better gifts than we know how to give? Do we know and do we trust and believe that? And now James says, this is how we know and we can trust that God is good and his character is good. He outlines it in three ways. 
Those three ways in the passage are this. Every good and every perfect gift is from above. The first thing we know about God is this. He is a good gift giver. Even in our trials, our trials, remember what he says to us. In verse 2, James says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For we know that testing your faith produces steadfastness and lets steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Even the trial that we go to is a good gift from God. But how many of us, when we face trials, do not see it as a good gift from God? Why? Because we're so easily deceived by the serpent who plants lies in our head that says God isn't good and therefore this trial that you're going through isn't good because if God was good, he wouldn't let you go through the trial. But James is making a plea. Let us be reminded that everything that comes to us is from God and it's good. Do we believe that God this morning, his character is good and in his goodness, he gives his children good gifts? That's the first thing. The second thing is this. Not only is he a good gift giver, but it's the father of lights whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The next thing we see is this. Not only is he a good gift giver, but James uses this phrase, the father of lights. That means he is also the creator of all things. That that term that he's the father of lights means he is the creator. So not only is he a good gift giver, but he's also the one that creates the gift that he's giving to us. I can give a lot of good gifts. But I can't make gifts worth a flip. I'm a terrible creator. I'm a great buyer, but a terrible creator. But James is saying it's not only that he gives the good gifts, but he's the one that's creating the gifts that he's given to you. So he's creating these good trials for us to go to. How come? Because of what James told us and reminded us back in the first part of this chapter. It's for our faith. So that we'd be complete, lacking in nothing. So God as the creator of good gifts, is giving to that so that our faith would lack nothing. And now James says this, not only is he a good gift giver, not only is he the creator of the gifts that he gives to us, but then he says this, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. That is this. Now James is talking about the immutability of God or the unchangingness of God. God, as we know, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God isn't in the moment of giving gifts and creating gifts, being changed by the circumstances of this world. He, from the foundations of the world, was going to give us good gifts in this very moment. Nothing is going to change God. Thank God we do not have a changing God. Thank God that his mind has been set from the foundations of the world for his glory and for your good. And nothing's going to change that. So James is reminding us of these three things. And these are just three characteristics of God. There's some great books, one by A.W. Pink called The Attributes of God. 
another by A.W. Tozer uh, called The Attributes of God. There's another book called The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. Any of those books are fabulous books about the character, the attributes of God. I'd recommend any and all of those to us. I think this is the problem that we in America have with God. We don't really know God. We know about God. But there is a well so deep of who God is that's been untapped by the American church. His characters, his attributes continues to flow. And I think we have but a, a, a spoonful of the attributes of God that we take. But there is a great well of the attributes of God, God for us to dive into. It's not that we don't have God, it's that we have too small of a God. Because we don't really know God. As I said in my prayer at the beginning of this morning, there are so many attributes of God, and we could study the attributes of God now through the day you die, and we wouldn't even put a dent into all of his attributes. That's the grandness of God. Our brains and hearts ought to be like a PC. I'm an Apple guy. They never break. PCs always break. Just saying. Our brains, when it comes to the characteristics of God and the attributes of God and the grandness of God, our brains ought to shut down. It ought to be so overwhelmed that we don't know what to do with it. But that ought to not make us continue to go after who God is. Let's not have a small God, as James says. Here's why. Because of what we said at the very beginning. We must avoid being deceived by remembering the character of God. The more we know God, the less we'll be deceived. Again, if you go all the way back to when I was a junior in college, my knowledge of that boat was very limited. I'll tell you this, once I had the experience of being on that boat, I never, ever decided to ever take a boat anywhere for the rest of my life. I had an experience that I got ripped off, and I'm like, I'm not doing that again. And then we went back the next year, my senior year, back to the Bahamas, and we decided to take a plane. That was a much better experience. Why? Because my knowledge told me something. And in having knowledge, I wasn't going to be so easily deceived. I just wonder if we're so easily deceived because of our lack of knowledge of the character of God. How much of the goodness of God do we know? How much of the love of God do we know? How, How much of the immutability of God do we know? And on and on and on I could go. Because the the knowledge of God will be our defense against being deceived. Because when Satan comes after us to deceive us, we have now knowledge to bring back to him and says, no, no, that's not who God is. God is a good God, and here's how God is a good God. Oh, no, no, God wouldn't do that because this is his kindness to me. I often wonder if we, as Christians... Do what uh, Paul says in Ephesians, that we know that we're in this spiritual war. 
all of us know we're in a spiritual war, correct? How many of us are preparing for the war that we know that we're in? And then how many of us take the wrong weapons to the war? If I show up to a gunfight with a butter knife, it's not going to bode well for me. But I wonder how often we do that in our Christian life. We show up this massive spiritual battle, unprepared for what we're about to go into. And James is saying, don't be deceived. Do not be so easily deceived. And then James moves from there and says, let me remind you, not only of the character of God, but let me remind you of the reward you have from him. He could have stopped there, period. But James says, no, no, let me tell you one last thing. He says, in verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. What is James talking about here? Like, What does he mean by that passage? Here's the simplistic part of that passage. He's talking to us about our salvation. Now, why would James end the passage, end this section about our salvation? He's going to remind us of the reward that we have and we've received from the Lord about our salvation for two reasons. But before I get to those two reasons, I want us to be reminded of what he says. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. The first is this. He's reminding us our salvation has been given to us as a gift of God. Now, if God's going to give us this great gift, what would God want us to be destroyed for in our trials and temptations? Like, I don't give a gift hoping that that gift get destroyed by my children. Or Jenny. Like, I, my hope is like they know that's a gift that they're receiving and that they'll do something about the gift that I gave them. So James is saying, hey, there's this gift that God's given to you. And in giving you this gift, he's going to make sure that you take care of the gift that he gave you. Your salvation. How many of us in this room take our salvation for granted? It is a free gift from God, Paul tells us. Not based on anything that we did. That's what now James says to us. By whose will he brought us forth. God brought us forth to our salvation. And then he says you're God's first fruits. What does he mean by that? That's an Old Testament idea. Remember in the Old Testament that the, the Jewish people were to to uh, take care of the land. And in taking care of the land, all the first parts of their produce were to be given back to God. As a reminder of two things, their need for God and their gratitude for God. Like God says, hey, I want you to take the, the first fruits and put them aside. Well, our tendency is not to want to put things aside. It's want to hoard, hoard those things in case we don't get enough later. But God says, hey, just trust me in this. I'll take care of you. 
And so that's what James is talking about. But now, what does it mean for us to be God's first fruits? Two things. And do we believe these two things to be true? We are God's, and God has set us apart. In setting us apart, then he can choose to do to us and with us whatever he pleases. Now that's a scary thought. That if we belong to God, and we are God's first fruits, then he can do whatever he wants to, to us. He can bring us cancer. He can bring us trials. Because then we can trust in his goodness. And then trusting his goodness, we can go back to what he says in the first part of James. All this, as God has set you apart and allows you to go through this, is what? For your faith. So all that we now see, that God puts us aside, allows us to go through this, for our faith that it will be strengthened. God can do what he wants to do with us. The second is this. Because of that, God has a purpose and a plan for all of us. God has a purpose for your cancer. God has a purpose for where your marriage is. God has a purpose for everything you've ever gone through. It's what Paul will say in Corinthians chapter 2. It's that idea that I spoke on a few weeks ago. It's for our suffering that we can now go minister to those who are suffering. What James here in this passage is going to say to us again, don't be deceived. Remember the goodness of God this morning. I want to be reminded and remind us this morning, this is the reason we are doing the Lord's Supper, is to be reminded of the goodness of God of our salvation. You see, Paul is going to remind us, Jesus is going to remind us. Let us be reminded of Christ's body broken for us and Christ's blood spilled out for us. That ought to remind us, the cross ought always remind us of the goodness of God. Because apart from the cross, we would have no salvation. Apart from the death of Jesus, none of us would ever get to spend eternity with God. And if that's all that God gave to us, is that not enough? If all that God gave to us was his only begotten son for our salvation, that is what James would say, every good and every perfect gift is from God. That is a good and perfect gift is our salvation. And if that's all we had, we have enough. Do we not? Are we reminded this morning of God's goodness to us? I want to take a moment to pause. Before we come to the Lord's Supper, I'll invite Jared back up. I want you to pause for just a moment and reflect in your heart if and where you're being deceived by the goodness of God? And how is Satan deceiving you of those things?
But now in these quiet moments, if you have a, even if you have a pen, I want you to write down some of the places that you can see the goodness of God, the good and perfect gift that He's given to you. Remind us of the great gift of our salvation by what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. He had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance. Take the bread. This is Christ's body broken for us. May we remember that as we take the bread this morning. Jesus, I'm grateful for your body that was broken for me. As Isaiah said, it's so clear and so true that you were beaten and abused beyond that of what we could even recognize you as human. Yet you opened not your mouth one time. But in doing so, you and your body became a defense for me. I'm grateful for your body. What a good, perfect gift to me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in which my blood, which is my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And we now take the juice as a reminder of Christ's blood spilled out at the cross. Jesus, by the shedding of your blood, we are washed white as snow. All guilt, all shame, 
all embarrassment because of the blood that you shed for us has been removed from us. There is nothing in any of our lives that your blood does not cover, that your blood does not wash, does not make You who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might receive the righteousness of God. What a gift it is that we would receive the righteousness of God because of your broken body and poured out blood. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We are grateful, God, for your son, his act of obedience to you. As James says, I will remind us again in closing. Do not be deceived, my brothers and sisters. For every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. God, we are grateful that you brought us forth by your will, by your mighty word. God, I pray if there's anyone here that does not know you, trust you, as their Lord and Savior, that this morning they would surrender their will and their life over to you, to your care. They'd walk with you you would make yourself known to them. For us, God, who've been walking with you, know you, you are the Lord, Savior of our life, God. I pray that you would continue to open our minds to all that you are, and that would be our great weapon against the deceiver, the knowledge of who you are. Lead us, guide us, continue to protect us. I pray this in the... Famous name of Jesus. Amen.